Denver's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Well, hello there, my friend. Welcome to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest on this show is the founder of Faded Spade and Above the Felt Entertainment, Tom Wheaton. Tom and I both entered the poker world at about the same time, which means Tom has been a card player for a very, very long time. When we got into poker back in 2004, current supernova Landon Tice was barely four years old. And if that doesn't make me feel old, then I guess nothing will. Yeesh. But even though Tom entered poker in 2004, he took a very different career path than your average everyday grinder, which you're about to hear all about. He even almost dropped out of the poker world entirely... Because, you know, who's got time for a hobby like poker when you have a full career and growing family? But the poker gods were not finished with Tom just yet. In today's conversation, you're going to learn the amazing story of how Tom lucked his way into getting connected with WPT executives, how Faded Spade managed to disrupt the playing card industry, why Tom's wife was a major catalyst in his ultimate decision to chase poker greatness, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you the founder of Faded Spade, which is the official playing card of the World Poker Tour, and brand new head honcho at Above the Felt Entertainment, which already represents some of the biggest and brightest names in the poker world, the one and only Tom Wheaton. Tom, good afternoon, my friend. How you doing, sir? What's up, Brad? How's it going, my man? It's going very, very well. Super excited to finally be able to sit down and have this conversation with you. You booked it about like a couple of months in advance. <laughs> and uh, you want to tell the listener why you booked it so far in advance? Well, it's funny. I know Berkey introduced us and uh, I don't know if his mind was on the same wavelength, obviously, but about a month and a month and a half ago, we were introduced to come on the podcast and I wanted to come on like the next week or so. And I was going to come on the next week and then the business mind took over and it just turned into, wait a minute, why don't you coordinate this with the launch of our new company above the felt entertainment, like the new poker talent and marketing agency. You don't need to just talk about, you know, faded spade and your poker player journey coordinate it with the launch of Above the Felt, and it'll be a bit more impactful and purposeful and probably lead to some really cool content all around. So yeah, it was one of those strategic decisions where my personal self wanted to come on and just hang out and chat. And then the business mind said, oh, wait, make it during launch week with a few of the other pods you're doing, and it'll be pretty fun. Yeah. I mean, it, it always makes sense when my guests have something to promote, something they're passionate about, something they believe in and, and want to tell the listener that might be valuable to the listener as well. Like that to me is just a, a win-win and business wise, it, it just makes all the sense in the world than just, you know, coming on and shooting the shit for an hour and a half, which 
I'm I'm on board with, but <laughs> I, I don't think it I don't think that's as valuable to you if you are if you don't have something valuable that you want to talk about to the to the listener. You'd be surprised, man. I mean, in our poker industry, it can be a very individual type, you know, game and environment. So anytime you get a chance to connect with other people that have a passion for this, a lot of times I think that time is very valuable. Oh, it, it pays dividends down the road, just not immediately at the end of the conversation. I mean, when we're talking about building relationships with, you know, just you mentioned Berkey, right? Like that, my relationship with Berkey came directly from this podcast. And now my relationship with you will stem directly from this podcast. Like podcasting is a networking superpower. Like you just get connected with folks that you otherwise wouldn't and build the, build those relationships. And like down the road, you know, as Tim Ferriss says, your network is your net worth. And yeah, that's something that I strongly believe as well. 100%, uh, man. And to start this show off the right way, let's talk about your poker journey and how it was that you fell into the world of cards. Uh, I guess we can start out. This is a question I'm baking into the first question because I always follow up. Like, start out with how old you are, the year, <laughs> um, and then how that journey kind of happened. So this is cool too. And I appreciate the question because I've, I've talked high level about the poker journey, but I've never gotten to the weeds with it. And um, it'll be a cool reflection for me too. And hopefully it can, can maybe inspire some others in, in a small way, but I'm 40 years old. Actually, I'm 39 years old because 2020 never happened. How about that? <laughs> so, so I'm 40 years old. And honestly, man, if, if me now at 40 years old would go back and talk to my 23 year old self, who was just starting in poker. And if I were to tell that 23 year old me that, Hey, when you're 40, you're going to, you know, be playing in WPT main tour, WSOP main events and doing well on them. He would have laughed at you. And then if you told him like, Oh, you're also going to own a poker playing card business and then a poker talent marketing agency. My 23 year old self would have just like smirked, drank his beer and raised the pot at his little home game. Like yeah, it why, why, why the contempt? Because then I was at 23 years old. All I cared about was playing cards and growing in my corporate career. It was like my whole vision and for my life at that point was I want to become the best poker player I can be because I was a product of the boom and it replaced baseball for me. And then I just wanted to be like this chief marketing officer, vice president of this corporation, this big corporation, you know, by the time I was like in my mid thirties, like that's all I cared about why and, to, like going to school why was why why was this like your your passion um how did you figure out that you wanted to play cards at a super high level in the first place and then go on with your corporate career at the same time great question so um i was never a card player in college college was all about for me i went to ucf it was all about uh literally baseball and business and getting my degree i would just play ball. I'd make friends that way. I would try and get as many internships as I could, you know, marketing coordinator, marketing representative, brand marketer, whatever, to prepare myself to get a career. Why marketing? Why, why was marketing your pursuit? I'm not really good at a lot of other stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> marketing, it kind of fits my personality where like, I enjoyed the strategic side of it. Right. But then I also enjoyed the creative side of it. And with marketing, if you apply it to business, you have a unique opportunity to be both strategic and creative. And I kind of found that niche within marketing. My worst classes were like accounting and finance. I just, it was like 
needles in my eyes. I couldn't take it. That makes sense. Uh, marketing is more creative. Finance and accounting is less creative. Um, yeah. Unless you're Bernie Madoff, in which case it's very creative. Um, <laughs> let's take another step back, though. Uh, sure. I, I'm going to keep walking us back. Oh, walk me back, man. Walk Why? Me back. Wh- how did you figure out that you were good at marketing, that you had a talent or that that was a skill that you had? I think when I was in high school, I started operating all these little side hustles. Like I was big into collecting uh, baseball cards. And I literally had this like side business in school where I was like marketing to different people at the campus at, at school to like buy certain cards. It was like this whole little marketing and sales thing. Um, and then, and then that, that just dovetailed into other things where like, I would literally go to movie theaters. I would take those promotional posters they had out like a stack of 20 and then I'd distribute them on eBay, <laughs> market them and distribute them on eBay. I just love that shit. It was like, and, and that just led me down that path. And I think my, my dad had a big influence on me too, uh, because he owned his own business and was a marketer during that time when I went to college. So it was like tunnel vision, like, oh, I'm going to be a marketing manager and I'm going to play baseball. Um, that's really where it happened. And then the more internships I got in, in college, like I worked for the Orlando Sentinel. I worked for a big resort company. It was all marketing related. And that just made me like it more because I was good at it. I got recognition for it. It was like, oh, well, this is, this is a talent. It wasn't until like 23 years old, Brad, where I actually played competitive poker for the first time. I'd pitch cards around at fun for college while drinking and just lose 20 bucks. Right. But I, the whole moneymaker effect, obviously like so many people just got me, it it pulled me in and I saw the competitive side to it. I saw that you could actually learn this as a skill and a trade. And I wound up winning like the first home game that I ever played. It was like 30 people from a bunch of different parts of town in Orlando. It was like a $25 buy-in. They had, you know, food and drinks and, they had a bunch of different cards, right? And I just won the thing. I don't know how. I didn't know what I was doing. But I remember I won it with Queens. And I was like, oh, easy game, dude. <laughs> like It was that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But I loved it. I loved everything about it. Not even just like winning that little tournament. I just, I loved, I loved the camaraderie of the people. I loved trying to pick stuff up at the table. Um, the psychology of it. It really, it really kind of meshed with how, what I love about marketing the most, which is the psychology of marketing. Um, and from that point on, man, I, I literally stopped thinking about anything else recreationally. And I just was like, I wanted to soak up as much knowledge as I could about poker. And I wanted to become really good at it. Um, so it was a really interesting time. So 23 years old, I can see the, I can see how you and Berkey became friends. I mean, baseball obsessed with the psychological and emotional impact of playing poker that whole side of the strategy construction uh, like two peas in a pod um so what steps did you take how how did you go about actively improving your game i literally read super system i watched rounders a ton (laughs) and then i got this dvd man and i actually talked to phil about this a couple years ago i got this dvd it was the phil helmuth dvd I think it was called like Masters of Poker. And it was like the cheesiest DVD ever, but it was like, it was Phil. And he was explaining, you know, here are the top 10 hands and you raise to see where you stand. And it was just like the ABCs of poker. And I watched that 
And that was it. And I thought like I was a poker genius at 24 years old, right? But oh, it was Dunning, all... Dunning-Kruger effect in yeah. <laughs> full play right there. Yeah. And then like, you know, I got into other things. I remember reading uh, Dan Harrington's book, right? Like you have an M of 10, you know, that type of stuff. Right. Um, but at that time, it transitioned to like me being the guy now that cut all the home games together. And that would connect all the different crews from around town. And this was so, like three yeah. nights a week, you know, all that stuff. And then it became like, I became a leader within my friend space and without around town. Right. So now it became more than poker. Now it was like, I was the guy selecting the best cards. I was the guy wanting to give a good experience to the players. I was like almost creating like a business, even though there was no rake or anything. And that's all I was doing for like two years until I had the courage to jump up to a real poker room and play like a huge game of one, two, no limit at the time. And, and uh, it was a couple years later that I actually gave that a shot. I love this because you're just naturally leaning into the stuff that you like as a human being, right? Like you're just, you're marrying the marketing side with the poker side already, just kind of intuitively without even really thinking about it. Like, how do I improve the experience? How do I find the best cards? How do I make sure that these guys have a really good time? How do I connect everybody together and tell people about the home game so we have enough people to play? Like, it's just such an organic and natural thing. Yeah, I've never even thought about it that way. Like, you saying that actually is enlightening to me because I've never thought about it that way, but you're right. It's very parallel to, like, what I'm doing now, you know, from a personal and professional in the, in the poker world now yeah, I, that's, that, that's, that's your enlightening training. i'd never even thought about it that way that's crazy I, I think that like for the listener the, the biggest takeaway is like leaning into your strengths leaning into the stuff that you love doing that gets you out of bed in the morning is a pretty important step as it relates to your career your poker journey just all the things when you have something that you do that you hate that doesn't motivate you that you wouldn't spend free time doing it's no wonder why people struggle when they kind of don't lead into the stuff that they love. hundred percent. I mean, life is all about experiences and that's all you can take with you. So, you know, as many experiences as you can give yourself and as you can connect people around you to have unbelievable experiences with the things they're passionate about, that's the stuff you can take with you. And, you know, the couple of years later when I actually got some courage to go to the, Oh God, what poker room was it? It was Derby lane. It was the St. Petersburg poker room. And poker in Florida wasn't even like more than a hundred dollar buy-in at a cash game table. But I remember buying into like a $45 tournament. It was like my first tournament I ever played. Me and a bunch of friends went down there. And I remember making the final table, just total ABC stuff, you know? And I remember I lost like with aces, like for third. And that just made me want to do better and play more. Like it wasn't, Oh, I got bad beat. It was, how did I play that wrong? (laughs) <laughs> like how did i play it wrong by getting it in with aces and losing and that, but that's like not normal thinking like normally it's like oh what a bad beat that sucks and my mind went to like man i played that really bad like, i think it's I actually more common than you think really okay yeah i think so like you touch a hot stove you get burned and yeah. when you experience something that's like negative you, people always want to go like can i play this differently what did i do wrong and, and yeah. i think in many cases at least like with my private coaching students like there's nothing they did wrong. Yeah. There's the only way to not feel the pain of losing would be to make a horrible decision. And yeah. in poker and in life, sometimes you make all the right decisions and like shit just doesn't work and dims the brakes, you know? 
Yep. Them's the breaks. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> and, uh, so it was funny, like, and at that time it was like 24 years old, right? I think maybe the first time 25 that I went to an actual card room and it was a huge deal. Like me and five or six friends, we all get in the car, we drive over there, we stay overnight. We tell our girlfriends or our friends, like, this is what we're doing. Like that was a huge deal. It was like such an awesome experience. So then, you know, we kept the home games going and then a couple of us who were more serious about it than others decided like, Hey, look, we're going to, we're going to take a trip to Las Vegas and, and Hey man, we're going to go stay at Mirage and, and we're going to try that one, two, no limit game. And we're going to put a hundred bucks on the table or 200 bucks and we're going to give it a shot. And thinking back on that now, it's just like so funny, but that was such a huge deal. You know, this is like 24, 25 years old. And I'll never forget just like the feeling of sitting down at the Mirage, man, and like playing poker and feeling like you're really a part of it. And it was just electric to me. I just, my passion just kept growing and growing. And I remember I had the like the worst session. I just kept losing. I lost like three buy-ins. Most of it was like losing money in unraised pots, you know, that kind of little stuff you learn when you first play. But I remember leaving that trip down but I remember feeling like I am going to work to be really good at this game. And I had this like false confidence or maybe just the confidence that if I really put in time, I'd get better and better. And then like, I got back to town, you know, it was, now it's 25, 26 years old and all these underground games in Orlando started to surface and things got really interesting at that point. Yeah. Um, that confidence or false confidence, whatever, you know, you want to call it is something that I felt as well. And I, I had Anna Marquez on the podcast uh, a week or so ago. And she, you know, I, I asked her, I ask people this uh, occasionally when it comes up, like when you decided to take the path of playing poker professionally in your mind, was there any chance that you thought you would fail? And, you know, she just looked at me and like, no, I had no, there, there was no, chance that I was going to fail and like that's my experience too when I first started playing like confidence false confidence arrogance whatever it is there was just no chance that I was going to fail if you asked me now the reality yeah there was a chance that I, I I very well could have failed but like looking back on it but I think that that confidence was necessary in you know kind of just having the balls to pursue this in earnest um with everything that I had you know yeah, a hundred percent. And that's the mindset you have to have to be a winner in the game. Like mindset, I believe is like such an important part of it. And I've learned that the hard way over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny because I never had the courage to do it full-time professional. I always wanted to, right? Like my buddy and I, we would have, we go hang out on Sundays and, and watch football and play the poker stars Sunday million or when full tilt was around play like that Sunday. And then we just do the home games. Like that's what we did. And those were some of the best times. Like I remember, man, just those Sundays grinding online and watching football. Like, and that's when like the grinding online and like watching. Before we go forward, I want to go back a little bit because you you lobbed me up a grapefruit and (laughs) I I just like bowled my way past it. You know, we're talking about about Florida and for what it's worth, I, my first live poker session ever was actually in Florida too at the, Daytona racetrack, it was like 2-2 limit, which was, I think, all they could spread at that point in time. And it again, just it's obviously the smallest game that you could see spread 2-2 limit anywhere. Such a exhilarating, fun. Like we drove an hour to get to that 
game and an hour back home. And like, it was just so exciting. I can't even, I can't even describe it appropriately how excited I felt to sit down with chips in front of me and be actually playing cards against other human beings. But you mentioned the home game, the rise of the home game, Florida, Florida poker back then was really weird. Like, like you said, no, couldn't buy in more than a hundred dollars. And I'm pretty sure at some point they could spread like five, 10, no limit, but you still couldn't buy in for more than a hundred dollars. And that they they were doing like really big sit and goes. That was sort of like their workaround for a while until it eventually got changed. But it makes sense that like, if you're not providing for the market, what they want to play, what's going to happen? Well, a bunch of home games are going to serve the market in an underground kind of way. So tell me, Tell me the stories about these home games you were involved in. Oh, man, I got some stories. Um, How much can I get into without the authorities calling me (laughs) is the question. I think there's a statute of limitations. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I never never ran those, put it that way, right? I I just wound up playing in in them for a while. But you're right. So to your point, the poker in Florida didn't become like what I would call legit real poker from a cash game side until like 2008, I think it was. Maybe, oh God, maybe later than that. I'm mixing up my dates. I don't know when I, when I did it, it was international waters cruise to nowhere type deal. Yeah. Tournaments were fine. You can go play a tournament, but cash games were not like, you know, like you could do in Vegas or Atlantic city. So Mm -hmm. basically now, now I guess the evolution was my career is starting to do really well in, in marketing. I'm growing. I'm becoming in, I'm, I'm entering management. It's like 2007, 2008, 2009, the home game side of poker that I was doing like with just friends and stuff is starting to subside because people are starting to get married, have kids, that type of thing. You didn't tell me the home game stories, but we need no, a couple of stories. I'm getting there. So, so that's when like all that stuff kind of stopped. And that's when these quote unquote underground games around Orlando started mm-hmm. up. So I was living downtown with my girlfriend at the time, downtown Orlando. And I randomly just got in the elevator one day and there was like four dudes in there. And they had a pack of cards with them and chips. And I just look at them and I'm like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Playing some poker? Right? And I don't I didn't know anything of it. I was naive. They're like, yeah. And I'm like, where at? They're like, upstairs. And they were like really secretive. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's not a friendly game, like whatever. And one guy just looked at me and goes, How big you play? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> like my but literally my girlfriend's with me in the elevator. And I'm like, I just played, I'm a two, five, no limit player. You know, that's what I was at that time. I was, you know, I had a good hourly rate. I'd play a couple times a week. Um, and they're like, they tell me the room number and they tell me a time. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I didn't think anything of it. I go back to my, my, uh, my place with my girlfriend and we have some dinner, we hang out and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to bounce upstairs and go check out that game. And my girlfriend at that time, who's now my wife, was always so supportive. She's like, hell yeah. She knew it was a part of me. She never made me feel guilty about it. She's like, go up, good time. So I go up there, man. I walk in, and this whole new world entered my world. This was not like get together with some friends' home games. This was three tables, a shitload of people, <laughs> cocktail waitresses, alcohol everywhere, food. It was, you know, a game. And... I remember I was the new guy. Obviously, I walk in. Here's this new guy walking in. You know? um, and it was like, oh, who's this fitter? Right? I could, like, sense it. So anyway, I sat down. I started playing. After about a couple hours, I realized what was really going on. 
And I'm like, well, whatever. I'm going to enjoy this. And for my first four or five sessions playing in that game, I like won everyone. And I somehow got past the rake. And I was like, I'd call her ass out if I saw too much taken out of my hands. Like I was like, the business side of me was taken over. So I guess after four or five times playing in these games, the, the people that were running it took a liking to me. And, you know, I was also challenging them a little bit on the business side of it, right? Next thing I know, uh, I'm being asked to play in other games around town. There are other hosts who are texting me and calling me. There are people texting me and calling me to start the games. The whole 50-50 no makeup situation. And next thing I know, I've become somebody that's playing three times a week, a guy that people are relying on to start the games and I'm never buying in on my own ever. And so this went on for, for a good year, year and a half where I became like a staple of the underground poker scene in Orlando. And it was a great incremental revenue generator for me. I did it while, you know, being a corporate guy and there weren't many corporate guys in these games. So I think it surprised them that I was doing well. Who was playing in the games and if not corporate guys, I would say a good majority of them are people that just played poker professionally. Uh, and then you'd have like lawyers. There were a lot of lawyers. There were a lot of doctors. There were a lot of blue collar folks, right? And you didn't see too many like corporate executives in the games. And it was really interesting to me that for whatever reason, these, these folks like really quickly started trusting me to play and play well and back me in them. And then I kind of wound up trusting them too, that, you know, they were going to handle things right from a business perspective. And then quite honestly, after a little while, I just got way too deep into them. And I was like, you know what? I'm getting way too deep into this stuff. What do you mean by way too deep? Uh, how do I put this? All of a sudden, some of the guys that are operating these games were like saying, hey, here's what we're going to do tonight. Like, mm. You're going to play this way. I'm going to play that way. And I was like, mm. no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. Like my, my ethical and moral code is too high to get involved in it that way. It was always straight up. And then once people started talking to me at that, that point, that's where I just started backing off. Yeah. I mean, it, I just felt like that wasn't the right way to play the game. It wasn't, you know, above par. I'm like, all right. I'm, I need to back off of this now because it's not, it's not matching, you know, my own um, levels of integrity. And if they ask you, you know, they ask other people too, right? Exactly. Like, yes. like that's, that would be the first red flag for me is like, whoa, if they're asking me to do this, what else are they doing that is affecting me? And can I trust these games anymore? Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, it was just like, I don't need this anymore too, because poker were starting to open up in Florida at that point, they started changing the, the laws. But man, it was just such a cool experience to like go through and to think back on because it was like penthouses and all the downtown Orlando like high rises. It was just, it was like really fun and cool, you know, that whole aura, right? Um, but then it was like, you know what? I'm in too deep. I'm really not liking this anymore. I don't like where it's going. And I think they got more and more desperate because poker was opening up for real in Florida. And they couldn't keep players anymore because folks were just going to poker rooms. Right. So, uh, that's where I kind of uh, backed my way out of that and just started focusing on going to like Orlando and uh, Daytona Beach at the time much more consistently. 
Yeah, these home games, they, they always find the penthouses. Uh, I know they always find the good locations. In, in L.A., it was like the 60th floor of the Watermark Hotel downtown, like just amazing views and great places to to play cards. Uh, my home game history, uh, <laughs> I'll tell the story that I don't think I've ever told on podcast before, but I did run one home game one time, um, and this was – around black friday it was like uh okay what what connections do i have what can i do now that i can't play online poker and this is my experience when i whenever i try to do something that is shall we say not legal um (laughs) do it brad don't do it it's not worth it (laughs) every time something like I, i played in a game two times a week for a few years like Every single session I was there on, it was Tuesdays and Thursdays, I believe, or Mondays and Wednesdays, whatever. It's been 10 years now, but two days a week, every single week. And they pissed me off because I would be the person that showed up to the game and I would be the person that kept the game going until six or seven in the morning. Um, Like I would just play until everybody quit and then I would quit. And when it would get down to like three or four handed, I'm like running the numbers, thinking about the rake, and I'm like, this, like, this is not sustainable. Even though I have a massive edge against these guys, like, this is not sustainable. So I, I went to the guy running the game, and I'm like, hey man, um, you know, I, I asked for a rake reduction when the game got three or four handed instead of like dropping ten dollars a hand or whatever it was they were doing, and he was just like, no. And I said, okay. So then yeah. I just started quitting early. And then I stopped going to the game for like one week when I was doing my game. And so I do my game. I stopped playing at the game where I had asked for the rate reduction. That week, the game got raided. It was in a business complex. The police busted down the doors. A player got shot in the back by the police running away. Um, They released like the CCTV of it because the guy who was running the game had cameras everywhere. Like he actually had like a, a security person outside and was filming like the (laughs) so such a silly thing to do but was filming the game and his whole office space like his his whole business and they released a cctv there's like an orthopedic surgeon who hears the police busting down the door they didn't identify themselves as police the players thought they were getting robbed which is what led to the guy getting shot because he didn't know what the hell was happening but uh, this orthopedic surgeon was in the corner and he grabs like a trash can, a small one, like this big, and like puts it over his head, <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying to like hide in the corner, <laughs> just out of pure panic. And yeah, so like all this goes down and I get wind of it, like the week that I'm going to run my first illegal game of all time. And then poker in my area just immediately shut down, like. Nobody played, and I was like, holy shit, this is why I what don't do bad things. What a fade, man. There you go. What a fade. I, yeah, so I'll lucky. You, funny you say that because you're bringing back memories because while I was doing that, the, the business person in me was like, oh, hell, I could run these games. I could, I could, I could convert this room in my place, or I could rent a place. I could run these games. Like, I could crush it. And, and, and even though the business person in me wanted to do that, like I just never did it because, one, I was – so busy on the corporate side and two like i just didn't want to cross that line like 
once you once you start doing that, you're just crossing a line. You know what I mean? And it's very hard to go back from that. So the business <laughs> person in me always wanted to do uh, to do it, and I just I never did it. Thankfully, I don't even care. It's like risk versus reward, and more power to the folks that want to take the risk. For me, like I said, if I do something that's like deceptive in the real world, I instantly get punished. And I've just learned <laughs> like just don't do it. You, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you're not able to pull the, you're not slick enough to pull this stuff off successfully. So leave that to the other folks who are better suited for such things. Um, but yeah, man. Uh, so the games start breaking. They start struggling to, the private games start struggling to get together because of the obvious reason that now we can play poker yeah. legally and regulated and not have to worry about getting shot, not have to worry about getting busted or, people you know the people running the games cheating the people uh dealers taking more money than they're supposed to all this stuff so tell me about that transition when you started so playing it like transition, it was a very unique transition in life and in poker so in life i was starting to transition into like a much more serious relationship i at that time i was just giving like my first director of marketing job so at that time i was like really excited and wanted to prove myself with that and then I said, you know what, I'm going to give myself a $10,000 bankroll and I'm going to play two, five, no limit, you know, a few times a week. Mm -hmm. And I remember I had all the spreadsheets. So for the next two years of getting much more serious in my relationship, growing as a corporate marketing leader and playing two, five, no limit and that $10,000 bankroll, I kept all the sheets in terms of hourly rate, how long I played, how much I was in the game for, how much I left. And I made it like a mission to have the best hourly rate. And I didn't have like a great hourly rate. I think my hourly rate was like between, it fluctuated between $25 and $35 an hour at 2.5. I was playing just ABC poker. I thought I was much better than I actually was. You know what I mean? Um, I didn't study. It was just the games in Florida were so easy. Like if you played ABC, you were going to make money, right? Um, so you know a I secret, love that. A secret, I suspect that even myself today, thinks I play poker way better than I actually do. I think all, all of us think that. <laughs> I love that. I know I'm not that good and I just try and get better and better. And I'm still shocked at the results I've had over the last few years. <laughs> it's just, you just got to be better than the guys you're playing against. Ultimately, that's what matters. ABC works if the guys you're playing against can't exploit you or are playing much worse. And I would say like 35 an hour is a pretty decent hourly rate playing two five. I mean, I think uh, the strongest players in the games are probably ought to be making 45, 50, something like that an hour. It definitely fluctuated. I think it fluctuated between 25 and 35. I think at the end of my serious time playing, and I think it was somewhere around 28, you know, 29. So though that's, that's where like I really became a cash game player. And I never focused on tournaments. It was just cash games. And whenever I traveled for work, this was the freaking best, Brad. I'd travel for work. I worked for a resort company. I worked for a healthcare company and then an insurance company. And, and that's over a much longer span of those three years I'm talking about. But man, when I would travel for work, I'd have to go to Vegas a lot. I'd have to go to Atlantic City a lot. And dude, I would get my work done for the day. I'd just go play cards. It was the freaking best. It was like playing cards on company time, man. It was like, Business trip, single life, cards, business, travel. It was the best. And um, that continued on for a pretty long time as well. Uh, and then it wasn't until probably 2010 where I started almost falling out of the game. It was really interesting. So 
I wound up getting married, which still 10 years later, you know, happily married. So we wound up having kids like six, seven months. My wife um, became pregnant after we got married. You know, we were older. I was 30. She was 32. You know, we, what, we what year was this? This is 2010. 2010. Cool. 2010. So this is where like my poker playing day started fading away. And it wasn't like intentional. It's just my life wound up having other priorities, right? It was like, okay, now I'm at the level in the corporate world where I'm working a ton because I'm now at that senior director level. It's a big job. You know, you, you have to work a lot to keep up when you have those types of jobs. And my wife and I get married. She's pregnant. I want to be there for her. You know, 2012, um, my first child is born, right? And and during this time, it was like I only played while I traveled for work. And it was really hard for me to justify going to spend eight hours on a Saturday at the Daytona Beach card room when I needed to be home with my family and be a dad, be a supportive husband. Absolutely. And I was looking at something that blew my mind the other night. I showed my wife. Um, I was looking at the demographics for my podcast as it relates to age range. And at at the like 18 to 22 demo, the split between males and females is like 22%. And then the next jump up, it's like 12%. And then when it gets to like 28 to 34, it drops to about 2% female. And then for the next demo, 35 to 45, it's like 1%. And then directly after that, it jumps back up to like 13%. And I was like, I was looking at it, um, the analytics and showed my wife and I was like, holy shit, like this is kids. <laughs> like this is, <laughs> this is just directly, um, you know, childbearing, child raising years right here. That is the cause of this split. And, you know, when you have kids, like they take a lot of energy, they take a lot of time. Uh, this is pretty obvious, but when you have multiple pools on your time and your energy, something's got to give and it makes sense that it's not your career, right? It's going to be poker, even though you love it. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you hit the nail on the head and I would say like for the next three to four years, that was, that was the case. So my son was born in 2013 and then it was like, oh man, it's all family and it's all work. And call it 2012 to 2016 or so, 17, like that was, poker was non-existent. Maybe here and there if I traveled for work, maybe. But by that time, you're like, you're so tired because you're parenting and trying to raise, you know, two kids under four that you don't want to do anything but go to sleep and watch some Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I was far removed from poker as a fan poker as a player, everything. I was just removed from the industry. And what started happening, Brad, was I was feeling this pull in like 2016 or so that the corporate grind became a grind. Now I'm like at the vice president level. It's waking up at six, leaving for work at seven, hour drive to work, work, leave at six, hour drive back seven. Like I didn't have the type of connection I wanted to have with my family. I wasn't able to provide the type of support to my wife that I wanted to provide. And I just said to myself, I can't do this anymore. Like the next 20 years of my life, dude, I don't want to be this corporate executive that has these high paying jobs, but doesn't have a great relationship with his family. And the only way I know how to do that is to try and start my own thing. 
yeah, escaping the golden cage, as they say, right? Like, and it was hard. And I don't know that I would have had the courage to do it on my own. I wound up getting let go from a job in 2017. And it was scary as hell, man. It was like, okay, like we saved, but here's how many months of expenses we have. And oh shit, do I just try and find another corporate job to go right back to that way of life? And my wife looked at me, dude, and she said, because she knew at this point, Faded Spade, you'll probably back me up here, but at this point, she knew Faded Spade had been in my mind for a little while, you know, a couple of years. And she's just said, stop talking about it. Just freaking go for it. And she wound up like giving me uh, the book Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm. And for the next 30 days, that's all I consumed. Gary Vaynerchuk, Crush It, all this entrepreneurial podcast stuff. And I just said, F it. I'm going to build this brand. It's going to be a poker playing card brand. It was right around the time, dude, where all that stuff was happening with the World Series of Poker and cards and poor quality. And I'm like, now is my time to act on this. It's going to be the modern day poker playing card. It's going to be built for poker. I was able to get it done from a production standpoint. And it was like, I'm going to launch this thing and I'm going to see what it can become. And at the same time, I had to get like another corporate job, but nowhere near as difficult as my last ones. And it was the coolest time of my life, 2017 and 18, uh, 2016, probably through 17, building this brand and being able to be the dad I wanted to be and having that connection with my family. It was just so exciting. And lo and behold, all this hard work starts paying off. The brand is launched. The industry starts actually taking to it. I'm back involved in poker. My passion is coming back with this unbelievable purpose to grow this brand and make a difference. And then doors just started opening. And, you know, it's kind of like, Hernando Cortez, right? Like you burned the boats or your boats got burned with your corporate job. And then it was like, you know, do I choose path? The path? Do I continue going on the path that I've been going on this whole time? Or do I choose the alternative path? Um, I think it's amazing that you have such a supportive and great wife that, you know, basically said, yo, what are you doing, man? Do this thing that you've been talking about. Like, let's go. You're capable of pulling this off and tell me a, tell me about a moment when you realized that faded spade was going to be a thing that like holy shit this is from dream conceptual to actual reality because i know that there had to be a one moment where you were like oh my god it's happening i was building the brand and i was launching the brand no matter what um but I had made a, a connection with a couple folks at the World Poker Tour, David Gitter, who's their chief marketing officer, Warren Woodall, who is their director of partnerships, while I was working in the corporate world. It's the craziest serendipitous story. I was in a hotel in Irvine, California. I was there for regional meetings for my corporate job. I did a search online, poker rooms, Irvine, California. I just wanted to go play poker. Well, you know what popped up? World Poker Tour. Turned out their office building was in the same complex as the hotel I'm staying. <laughs> I look on LinkedIn and I see these two folks who have very similar jobs that I have at, at 
my corporate job. And I just connect with them on LinkedIn. And I literally sent them both notes. Hey, we have similar jobs. You work at World Poker Tour. I love the brand. I work at this company. At that time, just it was Wyndham Worldwide, a very big resort company. And I was like, can you just point me in the direction of a great poker room around here? <laughs> what I asked them. And, uh, and they both wrote back within like a day. And I wound up actually making a connection that trip with David Gitter, who has become an industry mentor to me. And he and I, you know, worked together on like how my company at the time that we worked with could work with them. I wanted to get involved in poker. He was looking for a resort company. It was just this nice connection. And um, he wound up becoming, you know, a friend much more than anything. In fact, when I lost my job, and they didn't even know about Faded Spade, but when I lost my job, he was someone that helped me through it. This is before Faded Spade was even in the works. Anyways, so when I started building Faded Spade, I never talked to them about it. But here's the answer to your question. I just wanted to give some context. They heard what I was doing, and they're like, tell us more. So I told them more. And then they said, you kind of have something here. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm launching the brand like next month. And they're like, okay. And the way I launched the brand, Brad, was like Gary Vaynerchuk, social media marketing, where it started getting attention. So David puts together a meeting with me, him, Warren, and Adam Pliska, the president and CEO of World Poker Tour. And I was in Vegas and I got an email saying, breakfast. Tomorrow, 8 a.m., present Faded Spade. <laughs> this is like Vegas. And uh, I'm like, you know, I might have a couple beverages in me. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I go back to my room, and for the next six to seven hours to like three in the morning, I work on this presentation that I, I started building but didn't fully build. And I get the breakfast the next morning, and I'm not confident at all. Normally, I'm pretty confident, but I'm nervous. I'm like, what am I doing? This is a silly idea. And I go through a 15, 20 minute meeting with, with Adam and them and David and Warren. And my only ask was if, if I get this up and running and the cards are as good as I say they are, like, would you give me an opportunity to, to use them during a WPT event? And David and Warren were great the whole meeting. And, and Adam just looked at me and I'm like, oh no, like, what's he going to say? And he literally said, if you do this right, you're going to disrupt the industry. And I'll never forget this. He said, you know, there are people who have good ideas, but based on the person they are, you can't work with them. And they say there are great people that have bad ideas and you can't really work with them because they're bad ideas. And he's like, this is the type of situation where like, we really believe in you as a person and you've got a great idea here. And if you prove yourself, we will give you that shot to put him in a WPT tournament and possibly even WPT TV. And what... So, I mean, that, that's just, that's the moment. I, yeah. That's I, can't, the moment I, can't, I was like, Oh shit, this is real. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like I, I can't imagine what you must've been feeling in that moment. Just excitement, maybe a little bit of terror that <laughs> hopefully you can actually pull this off in the way that you think you can pull this off. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching 
led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. What was it about Faded Spade that was so disruptive? Like, because I don't really know the history of playing cards sure. as it relates to like the WPT. Sure, sure. So, so what's funny is remember, one of the reasons I started it was because of all the bad quality problems on the WSOP. Mm-hmm. So it was WPT who caught the most interest in because I believe they, of all companies, they absolutely like focus on the player experience, right? And that's what Faded Spade was about. Faded Spade was about, we're going to modernize cards in a way they haven't been modernized from a design standpoint. All the other companies were classic, you know, they were kind of boring, dull. This is going to be like much more modern. It's going to be the new face of cards. We're going to make characters out of the king, the queen, and the jack. So that was one, the marketing side of it, right? Mm -hmm. Then it was, okay, now I'm going to produce a quality card where they're not going to bend as much. They're not going to break as much. They're going to last longer than most brands out there. We did that. And then we're going to partner with companies that have influence and we're going to get our cards uh, in the market and we're going to try and drive consumer sales and B2B sales. A lot easier said than done. But those three factors, I think, married what the World Poker Tour believes in. They believe in innovation. They believe in the player experience. They believe in supporting brands that bring quality and try and change the industry. And that was something I was trying to do. I I wanted to, to make the industry better. And I think that's why they were interested. I think cultures and goals just kind of aligned. And how did you go about getting these cards produced, like from a production and distribution standpoint? Because that seems like a, yeah, I, my listener might not be interested in this, but this is a logistical challenge that just comes to my entrepreneurial mind straight away. A whole lot of failure. I probably <laughs> failed 10 times, man. And, you know, I can go into a high level, but I wound up working closely with a very prominent plastic manufacturing company, not a playing card brand, mm-hmm. and work with them to develop faded spades cards from scratch and basically taught them how to make a great poker playing card with their plastic. And, and that's the way that makes the most sense to me is taking an expert in you know, a similar field where they're producing things made of plastic and they're really, really, really great at it. And yet there's no culture behind like how things ought to be done or the way things have always been done. So it's just like innovation and looking, looking at something from a different angle. Yeah. And, and I was very fortunate where, you know, then poker go got on board and used our RFID cards. Hence why I know Matt literally got a text from Matt while he was playing saying, I love these RFID cards. I'd like to make some for my company. Mm -hmm. That's how I met Matt. And um, then all of a sudden, HPT started using them. And Sean McCormick at the Aria said, I'm going to put these on the table, right? And now I could say the Aria used them. And then consumers start buying them when they see them on WPT TV. And it was just this whole perfect storm. Um, And, you know, three and a half years later, Faded Spade now has doubled every year, especially since 
we pivoted into the virtual poker during the pandemic from a B2B standpoint. And I've failed so much more than I've succeeded, but man, those successes have been big and they've helped propel the company to now be a name brand. And we're in the conversation with the top three poker playing card brands across the industry. I mean, it, it, you talk about failure, but in my mind, it's, you failed at asymmetrical risks, right? Like where the downside is not that huge. And when you succeed, the upside is absolutely just gargantuan, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've doubled every year for the last three years, which during a pandemic when live poker has like not been a thing, I mean, holy shit, like that's extremely, extremely impressive in and of itself. It was a balance of strategy and luck. So the car business died. Repeat customers were not coming. Uh, E-commerce slowed down. New business, dead. And it was either I was going to lose the brand and have to go back to the corporate world or pivot. And we developed this like virtual poker platform, licensing some products, making them our own. And we're just offering the people for like home games, you know, connect with your friends during the pandemic. That was the start of it. But all of a sudden we got hit up. Actually, no, sorry. Uh, a contact of mine at DraftKings referred me to a company called Morning Brew. They asked me if we'd run a big celebrity virtual poker fundraising tournament for them. I remember that. Yep. It was just me at the time. <laughs> and they said, and we want to do it in two weeks, 10 days. I was like, okay. And we want to live stream it. But okay. Can you do all that? They asked me. And I went, yes. <laughs> Not knowing if I could. <laughs> yeah. It was like, yes. Yes, and I can. <laughs> Holy shit. How do I do this? <laughs> and lo and behold, we wound up pulling off this unbelievable white label branded fun virtual poker tournament with the biggest business leaders in the world. Like we're talking to CEO of Slack, president of NASDAQ, COO of Twitter. We mixed in a bunch of great people from the poker world. Helmuth joined us. Maria came on. Um, and we wound up pulling it off, streaming it, running it, and raised over like $200,000 for their charity of choice. And it was so funny because I'm texting with the Morning Brew CEO and COO the whole time, and they're just excited as I am that we're pulling it off. And after that happened, the floodgates opened. We got a ton of inbound leads. And I pumped all my marketing and business development experience into it, built it into an actual SaaS model, software as a service model, hired people, business development, project management, customer support. And thankfully, that team now, with my strategic oversight, is crushing it. We got outbound. We got inbound. We're doing 10 to 12 of these a month. 20% of them are, are live streamed. We've done about 80 of them. We've helped tons of foundations and charities raise over, over like 4 million. And they pay us for it, but they're getting phenomenal returns on their investment. We've helped corporations connect with their employees and clients. And we are going to continue to build that part of Faded Spade just as much as the poker playing cards. And it was during this time, Brad, where people don't know this, but behind the scenes for the last year and a half, I've been helping friends in the industry connect with corporations, connect with poker rooms for these types of poker talent and marketing agency type things. And now that I have this unbelievable team at Faded Spade that's handling the day-to-day, -day, that's helping grow the business, 
it was almost like I was avoiding this poker talent and marketing agency thing for a long time, even though I was doing it personally, just on the side. That it just clicked, and I said, now's the time. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes all the sense in the world. I'm a little jealous because I also, it's funny, you can ask Berkey about this, but I, t- I was telling him about starting like a home game, white label poker platform and talking about the marketing side of it where it's like, um, I can get influencers to play, we can stream it, we can put branding like on the actual table, like uh, these play money platforms that exist have this opportunity to put branding on the table where like, yeah, chasing poker greatness, I would pay for an ad to put on your platform that people can click and then listen to the podcast. And yet it's not an option. And I just saw that as like, oh, there's space here to do something really cool and awesome. And then it all kind of fell apart when I was breaking down the business model. It was really hard to make the business model make sense. So I'm very, very jealous that you you managed to pull it off so successfully and so well and many, many kudos to you. Because I- the, the, you're right, though, about the consumer side. It's a tough model. It's, it's, it's a lot of, of customer support for small monetary payoff, right? Because either they're playing for free on it or maybe there's a subscription model. Um, so we're kind of phasing out new business on the consumer you know, side of it. But the B2B side of it, man, we're all in, man. Like, yeah, the B2B rocking. is so obvious to me now when you say yeah. it. It's like, oh, duh. Like yeah. obviously this, <laughs> these charity tournaments and streams and stuff like are a thing. Um, but that's awesome, man. Congratulations. And I can, I can see how like your connections through faded spade, getting at the Aria, getting on the WPT, getting in all these card rooms across the country. It's so obvious that like, okay, above the felt becomes just the most next logical thing of connecting poker players like Berkey to you know, events and sponsorships and all these companies that you've been working with very intimately for the last few years. It's almost like I always have had both feet in the corporate world and I always had one foot in the poker industry and now I've got two. And now, I, but I can also straddle both industries, right? And, and have experience in both industries. And I had helped um, Jamie you know, get a few bookings at different poker rooms. Jamie Kerstetter. Kerstetter, yeah, sorry. I know we'll talk about Above the Felt coming up now. It could be Jamie Gold. There's a lot yeah, of Jamie's. Yeah, no. Jamie and Staples. <laughs> we told a funny story on our podcast the other day where I was like, this is all your fault because the Daytona Beach card room was asking me, hey, do you know anybody that would come and kind of work this event and someone that's a poker influencer and et cetera? And like, ah, you know what, Jamie would do really well at this. And I just called her up. I was like, would you be interested? And she's like, yeah, you want to handle it? I was like, sure. And like, I wound up getting her a really great um, situation and a card room had a really great situation. They got return on investment. Jamie uh, made what I would consider, you know, her worth, right? A really a good chunk of change. Yeah. And everybody- I can't, I know you probably can't say, but it, uh, I want to <laughs> ask a question because uh, it, it, it matters to me that people get paid what they're worth. And in this industry specifically, like a lot of people get paid what well below what they're actually worth as it relates to like doing legwork for. I'll, I'll, I'll just say platforms. this. I'll say this. What she was hoping to get out of it and what the market value really was for it was three to four times more than she was hoping to get out of it. Put it that way. Okay. And, and it was a, also a good situation for the poker room because they were still going to get 
get a return on investment and they're getting right. what I would call top talent. So again, this was all personal. I was just kind of doing it. Sure. Well, then it happened over and over again with different people, corporate, not just in the poker world, but also in, in the corporate world, you know, teach-ins, presentations, that type of stuff. Berkey, I just helped consult with him. He was doing a lot of this on his own. And I would just help advise him to say like, here's what your value truly is here. Here's what you want to bring to the poker room. You know, here's what the poker room um, could expect out of you. And here's what you're going to have to give the poker room for them to get value. I always approached it from both sides. The, the business side, like if I'm a poker room operator, I want to make sure it's good for them. And then the player side, the influencer, I want to make sure it's good for them. And I'm very straightforward folks like it's got to be a win-win situation otherwise it's not worth doing so anyway i i had started thinking about this more and more and i was just like ah, i should really like think about doing like a poker talent and marketing agency I, I think the industry needs it you know i think i can i can help expand the game out of the poker industry i think i can help bring value to poker rooms and operators and players in the industry and honestly i just avoided it i avoided it at all costs i did not want to do it What's funny is like the demand is so strong as a, a poker influencer. I'm like, I can feel it in me just bubbling out. Like, I want to see those numbers. I want to know what the expectation is. Like, <laughs> I, I want this information because as of right now, it like doesn't exist. And so I don't know how to access it um, like or set this this kind of thing up, right? Like, it's a very, it, it's something that I've thought about, like chasing poker greatness live, like traveling around doing these sort of live things. I think it makes a ton of sense. And it's, you know, the pandemic has obviously squelched a lot of, uh, a lot of ambition as it relates to that, but the pandemic will one day end. And that's a thing that, you know, me, I'm particularly interested in as a human being, because I see the value of like the meetup games and the vloggers getting paid to show up and drive a lot of buzz and a lot of people to the poker room for these type things. And I realized like there's opportunity there. Um, mm -hmm. It's just a really hard thing to get into from mm -hmm. my yeah. side. You know what I mean? It is. There's, there's no avenue for players to get into that. And there's also not a real avenue for poker operators, operators and poker rooms to contact a company to be able to, you know, work with poker influencers. Like it's, it's there isn't a connector. Yeah. And that's what Berkey helped with me. Berkey was like, he helped me realize that I could be a connector when I didn't necessarily realize it. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. And you like, know? if anybody's listening right now, just Brad at chasingpokergreatness.com. It's very <laughs> easy. Like, you can connect yourself directly to me. It's very simple yeah. to get in touch. And then, and then give me a shout. I'll give you some consult. So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, but it was maybe. 90 days ago, three months ago, Brad, where Faded Spade was, I was, it was finally not just me. It was a team that I could trust. Shout out to my team at Faded Spade, Tara, Ryan, Tyler, Brent, Christina, like they're just great at what they do now. They, they have made the brand better. They're, they're all better at what they do than I was at what they do. You know what I'm saying? And they're just good people and, and they bring a passion to it. And I wouldn't be able to help grow faded spade at a higher level, if not for their day-to-day -day work. And I wouldn't be able to do above the felt if not for day-to-day -day work. So I just wanted to send a shout out to the, the faded spade team. But anyway, I, I just, I made the decision, Brad. I'm like, I'm doing this. I know the name. I trademarked this name like four years ago. <laughs> like, I'm like, I can build a brand around this. I love Why did it. you trademark it four years ago? Because I, it originally was going to be the name for faded spade. 
Oh, okay. It okay. also was going to be like a tagline for it. Gotcha. And I'm gotcha. like, man, you know, didn't, you know. So the first call I made was to Berkey. And it was a very simple conversation. Said, remember that poker talent marketing thing we've been talking about for like two years? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to do it. He's like, you better. <laughs> I'm like, will you be a part of it? And he's like, yes. Without even knowing any of the details, he was just like, 100%. That's Berkey. Yeah. And, and then I called Jamie. And I'm like, hey, so you know how I kind of did, have done this for you a few times and it's been fun? She's like, yeah. I'm like, what would you say if I was going to do this like for real? He was like, you should. <laughs> said, would you want to be a part of it? I said, yes. So I had Berkey and Jamie and I felt like that was like a really good team. So um, I'm like, okay, it's above the felt. While I'm building the brand, I got to figure out who's going to be a part of this. I don't want a ton of people. I just want four or five really great ambassadors of the game. Another person I've kind of built an acquaintanceship over the last three years or so is, is Darren Elias. And, and I built this relationship with him when I myself, and we forgot this part of the poker story, but I myself started putting myself out there to play in these 5K or 10K events as a CEO of Faded Spade to try and get my name out there as a poker player CEO, right? And we can go into that if you want, but I, I've got to like him a lot. We've, through happenstance, run into each other at different restaurants. We've, you know, seen each other playing the games. He, of all people, that guy has played with Faded Spade cards more at final tables than anybody <laughs> and knows about them. And I just called him up out of the blue. I hadn't talked to him in a few months. He was really supportive with the Faded Spade Card Club, um, virtual poker. He and his friends played on it. He allowed me to put a quote from him in the press release. Like we, we developed this relationship. And I called him and I said, dude, I know you don't ever put yourself out there. I was like, but you got a ton of talent. I think there's something here for you. You know, would you be interested? And he said, yes. I, I think about this stuff often. I like to do this kind of stuff. I just never try. Yeah. So then it was like, oh, shit. I got Berkey. I got Jamie. I got Darren. All people I trust that are high moral compass people that represent the industry well. And for the listener, Darren Elias, four-time WPT champ, also been a guest on the podcast, uh, Chasing Poker Grants podcast, and amazing dude, just a really great, great human being. He, Jamie, and and Berkey, like I, they're just great people, not just great poker players, not just great influencers, and they can all transcend out of poker, and and they can live in that business world and represent themselves in our industry, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So the next one was really funny. So uh, Moneymaker and I have always had a really funny relationship. I met him through fantasy football, beat his ass. That's right. You remember, Chris. <laughs> how, how, does it, how, how do you meet, meet him in fantasy football? Like you just get he an had, invite. He was, start, he was starting a league with the guy from CBS Sports. We had mm. mutual connections, and I hit him up and said, hey, I'll play. He's like, all right, you're in. It was like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had like a really fun time at Run It Up Reno together once where for whatever reason, either he was stalking me to sit next to me as the fish at every table, but we were always at the same table. Mm-hmm. And we had some really funny hands together. Trying to get back that fantasy football money. Yeah. Crazy story. On the way to my first WSOP, I'm about to get in an Uber. Who do I hear call my name? Chris Moneymaker. Wheaton. I'm like, what's up, dude? He's like, you going over? I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, ride with us. <laughs> so like, my first World Series of Poker tournament ever, main event. I'm riding over with 
you know, Chris mm-hmm. would have a relationship. It was just so funny how this stuff works out. Anyway, so he had won one of the virtual charity poker tournaments like two weeks before him and I reconnected on the phone. I know I'm being long-winded, but it's a funny story. And uh, I, I said, like, let's, let's just catch up. And we wound up talking and catching up. We talked about the virtual poker stuff and if he wanted to be involved more. And he started bringing up poker talent and marketing agency stuff. And I started thinking, like, has someone told him about this? <laughs> equating it to, he was equating it to the stuff that I was doing with Faded Spade and the corporate work with Faded Spade. And I just said to him, I was like, I, I kind of got to share something with you. And I started talking to him about it. And he lit up. And he started giving me all this advice and he asked me flat out who was involved. And I told him and, and I, I never actually asked him if he'd be a part of it. I, I, I alluded to it. I knew I wanted to ask him. I don't think I had the courage to ask him, but I was like, that would be like, great. Like the fourth person, we got a poker stable now. And I talked to Jamie like a week and a half later and she's like, Hey, did you talk to Chris Moneymaker about this? And I was like, yeah, we kind of talked about it. And she said, oh, well, he told me on my podcast that he's in. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I was I was planning on like officially asking him, you know, but maybe I kind of sort of did. And I was like, that's awesome. So I reconnected with him, officially talked to him about it. And now we have the above the felt four, you know, mm-hmm. I think four people that represent our industry unbelievably well and are going to do a lot of things to help companies in the industry and then also do a great job spreading poker out the industry. Yeah. And I think that the excitement as to which you got put together your above the felt four shows how needed and how much demand there is in this market for such a thing. I think this is like the no brainer of all no brainers. That is shocking to me why a bajillion people haven't done this over the past 10 years. But I mean, I like this, this is like a lock for a successful venture, in my opinion. I hope so. And I appreciate you saying that. Like, I'm confident, but I'm also a little uncomfortable. Um, it, it's, a, it's a typical, like, sports agency model, right? So, like, it's, I, I, just, I just took what they do in the sports world and, and mimicked it here from a business standpoint. I really don't anticipate, me personally, to make a ton of money off it the first year, year and a half. I mean, we have realistic expectations about starting a new business. And if I can get these guys, you know, 40, 50,000 of incremental revenue over the course of the year through different, you know, engagements, that's great. That's phenomenal. And it's incremental revenue for them. It's building the brand. We're getting examples of how we work. I'm benefiting a little bit from it, obviously, from a compensation standpoint, but I'm going to put that all back into business. I really just believe deep down with inside me, Brad, that this can better connect our industry. I also think it can better connect our industry out of our industry. And it might not be mass media stuff to start, but just in a really targeted way. I really believe it. So I'm just going to go forth and see what happens. And it should be a hell of an adventure. I'm sure that it will be. And our industry does need this. There are many things that our industry needs that are kind of mystifying why they don't exist. Uh, I released an episode of the podcast a few weeks ago talking about how there's no poker convention. Like there's conventions for everything on the planet and there's no like place where poker influencers get together and have booths and have panels and talk about it. Like me and Berkey specifically talked about this being like, 
the biggest no-brainer of all no-brainers to run a conference during the WSOP, right? Like this is just so obvious. Why has nobody doing, why has nobody done it? There's conferences for everything. I see the the smirk on your face because I'm assuming that this is another thing that you you are thinking about. But tell me, Tom, are, are, are you going to, is this a thing that you've got your eyes on? We will 100% talk offline. I've had conversations about it um, with some folks in the industry and actually people outside the industry that are extremely experienced in this building of trade associations, uh, building of communities. Uh, so we will 100% talk offline. I can't bite off too much. That's fine. Yeah, I understand. I understand. <laughs> but but knowing just... you're passionate about this, uh, I would I would love to talk to you about that offline because all the all the right people are are kind of discussing it individually, and it's just a matter of me bringing everyone together to really discuss it for real. Yeah, cool. And we'll talk offline about another thing that I can't announce yet to the listener that I plan on announcing very very soon, assuming that it goes through. But that's neither here nor there. I don't want to. Te- I, I hate teasing my listeners about stuff that I can't. I can't talk. Hey, about. man, it's um, all about, it's all about adding suspense. I mean, come on, we teased above the felt for like a week and a half, right? Oh, and a whole week and a half. Wow, a week and a half or two. <laughs> I've had <laughs> so, to sit on my idea for like a month. Um, I've got like the logo and everything's like ready to go, and I my hands are tied, and I'm like the worst secret keeper in the entire world. Like, if I buy you a Christmas present there's a 97% chance that I reveal what it is before Christmas. I just, I can't (laughs) hold it inside of me. Um, And I realize now that we've been going for about an hour and 20 minutes. We've talked way too long, man. Why be sorry, man? We're, we're having a great time. Uh, This is a a great conversation. And I think that what I think I want to do is I think that if you're open to the possibility, we can sort of, close down shop on this one and then have a follow-up in a few weeks where, you know, I asked some of the properly prepared questions that I, I normally have. I, I have asked zero of them to you, except for your poker journey, of course, which can, you know, being the long-winded human being that I am, uh, can take up full entire shows just because I get curious and I love, you know, the, the point in your career where, you know, Faded Spade is born because you're trying to find a game in Irvine, California, right? Like what a, what a crazy, just crazy thing that happens, a, a very small question that pops in your mind that leads to this total change of careers and, you know, a whole new thing as it relates to your life's work. That stuff to me is just amazing. I love how, I love how like our lives can change based on just seemingly random small things that just pop up overnight honestly brad like i haven't gone this deep into the journey before i usually keep like my podcast really high level i don't like to talk too much about myself i don't i don't go into the details and this whole thing is almost like reflection for me like i'm sitting here smiling and thinking of all these things like man i haven't thought about that in forever i didn't realize about how this led to that and that connected to this and now with above the felt the poker talent and marketing agency, I see a world over the next year and a half where Darren, Berkey, Jamie, and Chris, they're going to provide unbelievable fan experiences at a variety of poker rooms and card rooms. That's going to help the card rooms with return on investment, get butts and seats, heads and beds, tournament entries, live stream views. Like they're going to get ROI. It's going to spread above the felt for influence. It's going to help the industry, but also 
man, I see Moneymaker going to an accounting firm and giving a presentation about how accounting correlates to poker. He was an accountant. Like people, corporations will pay for that. I see Berkey going to uh, a corporation and I see him giving a presentation about how looking at poker through a strategic lens and developing strategy is very similar to determining and developing business strategy. I, I can see Darren going to a corporation and talking about the mindset of a champion and how his poker mindset and his processes and thought processes of the game can help leaders of certain corporations have winning mindsets and et cetera. I see Jamie going to law offices, right? Cause she started as a lawyer and doing poker teach-ins and talking about her journey from being a lawyer and how being a great poker player and the skills it takes to be a great poker player are similar to what it takes to be a great attorney. Like, I see all these happening. A lot of people might not. Some people might laugh at me for it, but I see it happening and it's going to happen. And I think that's where you're going to start seeing, you know, above the felt really make an impact. And I think it'll take eight to 12 months, but I'm confident it's going to happen, man. I'm, I'm very confident it's going to happen. I, I don't, I think that anybody that laughs at you doesn't really understand what's going on or what's in play. I, I know that, you know, I'm friends with a keynote speaker who's an ex-Olympic gold medalist, and I know corporations pay for those keynote speeches. I know exactly how much they pay. Like I, I have a number of people who travel around giving these, doing these these types of things. The amount that they get paid is more than you would expect, and there is a large market for it. So I have few doubts that this is going to turn into a, a legitimate thing. It just makes all the sense in the world. And man, I'm really glad to have you on today talking about Above the Felt. I'm pumped. I, I hope my audience is pumped as well. And when we close down shop, uh, I'll just, I'll ask you, you know, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience, how, how I guess, first of all, how can they support Above the Felt and what you do as far as like getting the word out and then secondarily, how can they find more information about you and Faded Spade, Above the Felt, all that jazz? So Faded Spade, we'll talk about from a consumer standpoint. Just hit up fadedspade.com. Uh, you have access to all of our different poker playing card products and uh, apparel too. You can use code uh, WPT for 20% off. Um, above the Felt, the way consumers can really help is by letting your corporations you work with or the card rooms you play at, know that we're here and know that we're very interested in adding value to a card room, to a poker organization, or to the corporation they work with. Um, AboveTheFelt.com is the website. You'll see different forms to contact us for talent engagements. You'll be able to go to specific pages about, I guess we're going to start calling them the Above the Felt Four right now. Who knows if we'll bring on other people, but <laughs> Matt, Jamie, Chris, and Darren You'll get to learn about them and just connect with us. Even if you aren't sure about what you want as a corporation or a business, but you know you want to do something, we can consult uh, based on your goals, whether it's team building or corporate presenting. And, and also any organization that wants to work with our talent for endorsements or sponsorships, especially on the online poker side, Brad, when online poker starts coming back, who better than Jamie? Darren and Matt, you know, to represent 
uh, one of those types of brands, just like Chris is for America's Card Room. Uh, just hit us up above the You'll see all the forms that you can engage with our team and uh, we'll get back to you within at least 24 hours. Perfect, man. And I, uh, another light bulb just clicked in my head about the corporate sponsorships and the, working with the corporations and the charity poker tournaments and everything with the virtual poker, like the synergy. It, it's, it's so obvious to me. Um, okay. Nailed <laughs> so <it>. it. <laughs> and those are smaller engagements, mm-hmm. are smaller engagements, but it gets brand out. It gets influence out. Exactly. And that's ultimately what matters, man. Uh, Best of luck. Uh, we'll have you on for round two in the very, very near future. So the audience um, doesn't have to wait very long to hear me ask you some of the regularly scheduled questions. Very grateful and appreciative for your time and your energy. Thank you for all the greatness bombs. And yeah, man, take care. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.